Hey, it's not quite the DeLorean, but we're going back in time with a new podcast feed full of all my favorite interviews in the history of the Bill Simmons podcast. We're coming up on seven years now. I've had an unbelievable collection of athletes, celebrities, showrunners, directors, Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, Shirley Theron, Tom Hanks, Bill Burr, Kevin Durant, Peyton Manning, The Undertaker, Eddie Vedder, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he actually came on. Dave Grohl, Quavo, Barack Obama. I mean, what else can I tell you? I've had Al Pacino with Barry Levinson. I've had people like Steph Curry, Jason Bateman, John C. Riley, Jonah Hill. I could just, I could keep going and going. But wait, there's more. Whether it's your first time or you're planning on revisiting some of your favorites, make sure you head to BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Follow the Bill Simmons podcast, The Interviews, on Spotify now. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Let's roll, baby. A special Wednesday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. John Jastrzemski. And what happened to the good vibes? What happened to the good times? What happened to all those wins for the New York Yankees that we experienced in April, May, and June? You got to call it what it is. And you got to be fair and you got to be reasonable and you got to be rational about this. The Yankees, ladies and gentlemen, have been a bad baseball team for about a month and a half. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yankees have been a bad baseball team. And they afforded themselves the luxury of being able to go through this sort of funk. But the Yankees are playing bad baseball. They just lost two out of three to the Seattle Mariners. 
They got swept by the St. Louis Cardinals. They're 13 and 20 in their last 33 games. And the vibes around the Yankees, they're not good. I mean, I don't even know where to begin because the last couple of days really set me off. If the game 24 hours ago was not at two in the morning where you got to wonder if half of y'all are asleep or, or half asleep or whatever the case may be, I would have lost my freaking mind doing a lot. We would have hopped on the live after the Yankees got thrown on the bases five zillion times. I mean, it is hard. Let, let's think about this for a minute. It is hard with these extra inning rules, the way they are set up to only send two guys to the plate. You basically have to do everything in your power to mess that up. The Yankees did yesterday. I mean, that is some of the worst base running I've ever seen in my life. From Benintendi to Andahar. And then the one that really took the cake was IKF. If the Trevino boom gets picked off after the comebacker, for IKF to round the base and get thrown out there, you deserve to lose the game. You absolutely positively deserve to lose the game. And that, to me, is the theme over the last 33 games. The Yankees, the run differential is still great. They are scoring, not today, but in general, they're averaging close to six runs a game in their last 33. So why is the record the way that it is? A lot of those little things, the Yankees were doing a brilliant job of. Running the bases, the starters. Did a great job of that in the first three months. They've done an awful job lately. The bullpen. Today. You think today's going to be a really good win. Nesta Cortez throwing a no-hitter. You're down one nothing. Boom, Higgy hits the home run. Judge hits the home run. You're sitting pretty. Two-run lead, seventh inning. Nestor on the mound, go win the game. The Yankees proceed to give up three runs in the bottom half of the inning. And then a couple of things there. Boone tried to push Nestor. I applaud Aaron for that. Right call, right decision. I understand he doesn't have Coy Holmes. I understand he doesn't have Aroldis Chapman. They pitched him back-to-back days. The idea of Albert Abreu being the guy that you call on in that spot is ludicrous. You know what's even more ludicrous? And we tweeted about this a couple of days ago when I saw it, when we were doing a Saturday Night Live. Why did the Yankees send Ron Marinaccio down to the minor leagues? And don't tell me it's the idea of, oh, you got to protect Albert Abreu. Nonsense. I-, I thought the idea is to try to win games now. Marinaccio was pitching like a one and a half year array over the last six months or the last three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, whatever it is. He should be up here now. Like, I don't want to hear, oh, well, the, the options and this. No, the Yankees need better options with the big club. What kind of lousy thought process is that? And then they go quietly into the night. You add all that up. Matt Carpenter, who was a godsend for the New York Yankees, fractures his foot on Monday. And you knew the minute Matt Carpenter hobbled out of the game and they bring in Tim LaCastro to hit for him, that he's going to miss some time. You hope it's not to the point where it's, hey, he's going to be out for the playoffs. Carpenter says, I'm going to be back in four to six weeks. Great. That's a big blow for this team. The lineup doesn't look the same without Rizzo and Stanton. That's obvious. But a lot of those little intangible factors that were going so well for the Yankees have now gone against the Yankees. And that's why they're in the position that they're in. And they're going to win the division. 
they're not going to have home field advantage. But they're at a point now where, with the way they've looked over the last month, the confidence you had as a Yankee fan in early to mid-June is gone now. There's no confidence with this team. Can they regain your trust? Can they build it back up? Surely. But right now, confidence is probably at an all-time low for the 2022 season. That's what happens when you lose five out of six games. That's what happens when you play the way the Yankees have played. And don't let the record as a whole fool you. Because the six-week sample size is not very good. So, not good times in Yankee land. If you're looking for positives, here are the positives. Cole threw the ball really well yesterday. Good sign. Holmes finally had a clean inning on Tuesday. Good sign. And Judge is ridiculous. I mean, give Judge the MVP now. If anybody's going to try and lecture me on Shohei Otani being the MVP, take that narrative and stick it with a sun don't shine. That, uh, insulting to suggest that Shohei Otani should be the MVP in baseball. Insulting. On that team, with the way they've played this year, don't even. Especially when he won the award last year. What, what are we going to just give the, the, the MVP award to Otani every single year? Uh, I'm out. The hell with that. So I'm down on the Yankees. Yankees looked like crap for a month. And this week really set me off. Okay. The Mets keep rolling. So much for a letdown. The Mets taking on the Reds after winning four out of five against the Atlanta Braves, where the series, you don't have DeGrom going in the series. You don't have Scherzer going in the series. You're playing a bad team. All of a sudden, the energy and the vibe of City Field, you know, and that electricity you had over the weekend, it's brought back when you're playing in front of, you know, 28, 29,000. You're playing a bad team. You have every reason to basically take a game off. This team doesn't do that. They absolutely beat the bejesus out of the Reds. They won a tight game with Bassett on Monday where he pitched into the eighth inning. And I loved what you heard from Bassett. Bassett's like, hey, I'm a throwback. I go deep into games. I want to pitch. I want to help my team win. I'm used to this. I hear that. I'm like eating it up. I'm like, this guy gets it. In an era where you have so many soft pitchers, where uh, four innings and 90 pitches, they're asking out of the game. To see Bassett go and throw 115 pitches was fantastic. There's that. Then there's Francisco Lindor. And we got to give credit where credit is due. You look at the stat line now for Lindor. Lindor is putting up numbers. He's got 81 RBIs on a year. Think about that for a minute. Lindor's got the batting average up to 270. He's got 20 bombs. He's got 81 ribbies. He's got an 813 OPS. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the Francisco Lindor I thought you were getting from the Cleveland Indians a couple of years ago. But all the new guys, Vogelback, coming out to milkshake. I mean, how phenomenal was that? You know, they're paying tribute to all the ladies. So you got a bunch of guys coming out to, you know, edge of 17, somebody coming out to Lizzo. Awesome. Well, Vogelback's coming out the milkshake. He's shaking it. He's bringing sexy back, as my uh, colleague at Eamon, Eamon McEnany over at SOI shouted out a few days ago. He and Sewell did an unbelievable job with the highlights the other day. I mean, if you're not watching Geico Sports Night on SOI, you're not doing it right if you live in the New York area. Just saying. I plug all my shows. I plug the podcast on television. I plug TV while I'm here. We do it all. Synergy. Seamless. Good for business. But bringing sexy back. Oh, fantastic. But Vogelback, rough. And then Naquin, all three of those guys contributing in a big way. You get a bounce back start from Walker. 
You sweep the Reds. And now you welcome in the Philadelphia Phillies. And guess who's waiting for the Philadelphia Phillies? Who are red hot, by the way. Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. Not too shabby, might I add. First place, New York Mets. 73-39 and 39 on the year. Seven and a half game lead over the Atlanta Braves. And you start off a series with Scherzer and DeGrom. Must be nice. Right now, the vibes around the Mets are very similar to the vibes you had around the Yankees May and June. Where it just feels like the Mets are going to win day after day, night after night, over and over and over again. That's what it feels like. You want to credit the manager for that. You want to credit uh, the trades that were made at the deadline, the ground coming back, whatever it is. Team's playing with all sorts of swagger. So hats off to the Mets. Uh, no frills, no nonsense, another sweep, this time at the hands of the Cincinnati Reds. And we're going to rip some baseball calls right out of the gate. But, but before we get to some calls, football's going to be here before you know it, folks. You know, it dawned on me today as I'm walking up to Silver Lake Golf Course, playing the first hole, got my dolphin pole on, I got my dolphin bucket hat on, best round of the year, by the way. Hit the pole great. Now I got to string them together. You know, that's the key. Had a good audience watching me. That's always key. When you play well and you have an audience, very, very important. But I'm like, holy smokes. It is now August the 10th. A month from now, we're getting ready for the start of the NFL season. And from a Jets perspective, this Mekhi Becton injury is a major, major problem. Now, I had reservations about what Becton was going to do this year. The shape he came in a couple weeks ago. The fact that he was a non-factor for all of last year. To have this injury, though, boom, right out of the gate. The guy you're counting on to be your right tackle, a guy who was a first-round pick a couple of years ago, for him not to play, big blow for the Jets. And let's call it like it is. Jets need a right tackle. They don't have a right tackle on this roster, at least one that could start. I mean, look at some of the options they could run out there. They're not starting players. So does that mean, oh, they have to go and get a guy like Brown? Maybe. I'm forcing the issue if I'm Joe Douglas. I mean, how could you not? Do you want to go into this year where you got a turnstile at right tackle that's going to compromise and weaken the rest of your offensive line? That's problematic from a Jets standpoint. And you feel for Becton. You know what? First round pick, big year. Last year's a total wash. Now this year is going to be a total wash. It's just not the news you want in early August when it comes to, boom, we got a major hole on our right side of the offensive line. And look, we're going to talk about this with Danny Heifetz when it comes on a little bit later in the show. Sauce Gardner better be good. Because the Jets passed up an opportunity to go and get themselves a tackle. You know, I thought it was Thibodeau, and I thought that was going to be the topic of conversation. Maybe not as much. Maybe it's the idea of Neil or Quano not being on the New York Jets offensive line. And how does that change the look and feel of this all-important second year for Zach Wilson? But we got that going on, and we got a preseason game. Look, I, I put, if you listen to me, you know this. I put zero stock in what I see in preseason football. Daniel Jones cool, terrible tomorrow. Daniel Jones cool, great tomorrow. I don't care how much he plays. I don't care what he does. I don't put any stock in these preseason games. But. The idea of seeing football again, the idea of thinking about my fantasy drafts, thinking about 
heading out to Vegas with Raheem Palmer in a couple of weeks, signing up for the Super Contest. Like, that is stuff that gives me all the good vibes. It gives me all the good vibes as we get ready for the start of the 2022 season. And I know there are concerns about the way the Giant offenses look. I've heard them. You follow all the guys on Twitter, they'll tell you. This is a free roll of the dice for Daniel Jones. And more importantly, it's a free roll of the dice for the New York Giants as an organization. Why? Because they say, okay, we got a new coach in here. We got a coach who knows quarterbacks, a coach who knows offensive football. We drafted you a tackle. We got another tackle we really like. Let's see if you can play. The answer is yes. Maybe you got something to work with a quarterback. The answer is no. You're drafting a quarterback next year. From a process standpoint, giant process is where it needs to be. Process for both teams is there. The difference is Jets got to start winning some games. The Giants, in many ways, even with a soft schedule, easy schedule, they got a free year. The Jets are at a point now. I mean, they've won one division game in their last four years. Got to start winning some games. Sooner or later, you got to start winning some games. I mean, my buddy Beningo is going to be beside himself if it's another 5-12 and 12 Jets season. And I'm telling you, be careful of that over. Everybody I talk to, everybody, everybody, everybody I talk to wants to bet the over. Like the great Tommy Keenan texted me. He goes, I want to empty the bank account on Jet over. I'm like, oh, boy. I almost want to book this bet when I hear this sort of mumbo jumbo. Just, just remember I said that, Jeff Benz. Remember I said that. All right. Before we get to Danny Heifetz on all sorts of really good football stuff, getting you ready for the start of preseason and a month away. 2022 NFL season. All right, voicemails, though. Can't forget about those. They're coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Voicemail time. Let's get to it. We got a Jeter pod tomorrow. We're wrapping that bad boy up. And then Sunday, we're back with a vengeance. And it's going to be late Sunday, just a little FYI, because the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to play like a five-hour game. But anyway, 917-382-1151. That's how you get in touch with the show. And remember, Spotify Live Friday. And if you're in the area, come to Norwalk, Connecticut. PJ Ryan's will be rocking, we'll be rolling, and we'll be on Spotify Live as a little pregame for the uh, baseball weekend festivities. Okay, voicemail time. Steph, let's go. What's going on, John? This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. With the Mets, man, I- I'll-, I'll tell you, I'm like on cloud nine with, with what's going on here. And, I- and I'll tell you something, John. Epler hit the, hit the lottery with uh, Naquin, Ruff, and uh, Vogelback. And... And, and, and John, I understand we're, we're in a win, in a win now situation. But John, uh, the, uh, the, the future looks, looks so bright. You know, with what we have in the, uh, Mets farm system, they came into the, uh, season as number eight, as, uh, ranked number 18. And now they're ranked number five. And, and you know that Stevie Cohen wanted to change this, uh, whole, uh, farm system situation when, when he came here. And the other thing is, they have a critical series coming up against the Phillies, Braves, Yankees, and Dodgers in the next three weeks. Uh, even though they split the series, they'll still be in good shape. Uh, following that, they'll have to play 500 teams till the uh, end of the season. So that's why they really haven't fallen apart. 
which uh, um, which shows that they're, they're guaranteed a playoff spot even if they play 500 ball the uh, rest of the way. Well, Stuart, I want better than that. I understand they got a tough schedule. Phillies, Braves, Yankees. No, the Mets are playing as well as anybody. They got seven and a half game lead in the division. You nailed it about every move that was made at the deadline. Their offensive moves, they look great. Vogelback looks great. Naquin looks like a player. Rough hits against lefties. It's exactly what you envisioned. I'm not even worried about the future, Phil. Look, they're going to have a future because they got an owner who's going to spend a gazillion dollars. That's always going to keep you relevant. That's always going to keep you in the mix to be a competitive team. I don't know how many years I'm going to have Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. How could you assume that you're going to have more than one or two? You don't know. Jacob DeGrom could opt down next year and be pitching somewhere else. Why do I bring that up? Seize the moment. Strike while the iron is hot. Yes, I would expect over the next, I don't know, five to ten years, the Mets are going to make a lot of different runs at going to try and win a championship. I would expect that. But are you going to have peak DeGrom and Scherzer? I mean, you hope you're going to have peak DeGrom and Scherzer come playoff time. Because that, to me, is the thing that kind of separates you from any of the other teams out there in baseball. Nobody has that. There's not one team in baseball that can match that one-two punch. Five games, seven game series. Good luck. Good freaking luck. Who's next? Hey JJ, it's me coming from Savannah, Georgia. I'm a St. John's graduate, living down here for some army life. Uh, big time listener, first time caller. I'm a Yankee fan. My question to you is: Why does Aaron Boone continue to put pitchers in with with traffic and inherited runners on the bases? If you look at some statistics out there, the Yankees are ranked one of the closer to thirtieth in the league. I'm giving their pitchers clean while the Astros consistently are upward towards first. Um, an example just coming back to bite us in the ass is Alfred Brave. They keep putting him in with tracks on the bases. 67% of the time, runners are scoring. I mean, there's a huge flaw from the top of the organization down. Like, I don't necessarily think Aaron Boone is the one making this decision. I believe it's some analytic out there, some guy in a suit who thinks this is the right decision. But what I think. They need to give their guys tuning and let them know. Obviously, there's times where you got to train the fireman to put out the fire. But if you're going to do that, it cannot be Albert Abreu in a tight game in Seattle. All right, man. Appreciate the time. Love the pod. Keep up the good work. Later, bro. Well, I appreciate the call, number one. And I appreciate your service. I really do. Can't thank you enough for that. Boone does not know how to handle a bullpen. From the critiques I had watching the game the other day to the idea of Albert Abreu. I don't want to hear about Holmes. I don't want to hear about Chapman. That's a game to be won. Where's Efros? Where's Trevino? Where are these guys? Well, Isaac threw 10 pitches yesterday. I know he hasn't been particularly good. Where's Loisaga? I don't, I don't want to see Albert Abreu come in with a couple runners on base, just basically go out there and blow the game. I mean, what Yankee fan felt confidence the minute they saw Albert Brave coming into the game today? I know I didn't. It's like you're flirting with disaster. That's why the idea that Marinaccio is not up here is inexplicable. Makes absolutely no sense, especially when the Yankees are hurting for another righty arm and Michael King's not here. 
Let's take one of our best relievers. He's pitching as well as anybody. Oh, let's just send him down because, oh, somebody else doesn't have options. Who cares? Go win right now. I need Marinaccio up here. Enough. Yankees dropped the ball on that one. Who's next? This is Matt from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. This is uh, 1.15 European time. I just saw the Yankees throw away another series against the Mariners. What pissed me off is the following. The Yankees play quite a good season over the year. I don't mind that they get beat. But what I get pissed off is the following. They get beat by stupid mistakes. You cannot, like Clever Torres, get beat uh, with the same pitch five times in a row. This is stuff they did last year. And I'm afraid they throw away overall good season. What's your opinion on that? Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. It's a fair point. Over the last month, you've seen way too many similarities to what you saw with the 2021 New York Yankees. No bueno. Base running. Blown leads. Finding ways to lose. Yankees score runs. They can't pitch. Sunday. Yankees pitch well on Tuesday, but they get shut out by Luis Castillo and a Mariner bullpen and run the bases like bad little eagles. A lot of bad vibes. This is going to be, I'm sure, a miserable playing ride for them. They got a day off in Boston. Time for the Yankees to buck up, get their head out of their ass, and start playing some better baseball. Something they are not doing right now. Last but not least, let's hear it. Hey, Jay, Charlie from Elmhurst calling in. So, re-recording this voicemail again to talk about the another, like, just disheartening Yankee loss, 4-3 to three to the Mariners, lose the series again, playing an absolute hot mess shit baseball for the last six weeks. And this one, it just aggravated me, aggravated me so much. The fact that Nestor Cortez pitched good, pitched really good through six innings. And... Then the offense finally scores some runs in the top of the seventh. Then Cortez run into trouble. But here's the problem, JJ. Here's the goddamn problem. Mr. Bubbly Gum, Lucy Goosey manager, Aaron Boone's first choice out of the bullpen is Albert Abreu. Are you kidding me, dude? The guy never pitches when, you know, the team is you know, in a close game or, like, late lead with a tight lead situation. He always pitches when the team is trailing or when they win by, let's say, five-plus runs. Why is the dude, that dude the first choice? Dude's a soft, punk-ass clown, and you send Ron Marinaccio down for this dude? I mean, you've got to be kidding me, bro. I mean, this team is throwing games away with this shit. And talk about Sunday, too. Why is the allow Albert Abreu, I'm referencing, him allowed to, after the Yankees tied the game, fix this on Sunday against the Cardinals, allow him to pitch a couple of batters? You already see, like, he has allowed, what, 15 inherited runners? Yeah, he's inherited runners, seven of them in the score. So he doesn't know how to handle that kind of situation. So, joke-ass part on boom, and I'm going to tell you, oh, my goodness. Like, this team has like shit, and we could talk about something good in this game, but turning to this shit absolutely makes me sick. And my goodness, this team is going to Boston with this piece of crap going on. Oh, oh my goodness. Charlie, let's be honest. 
They're not set up great for this Red Sox series either. Tyone's going in this series. Herman's going in this series. The issue is that, well, the Red Sox suck. It's a team that you should be able to beat up on. Yankees need a pick-me-up series. Oh, my goodness. Do they need a pick-me-up series? Because after the Red Sox, listen to this. They got Tampa. They got Toronto. They got the Mets. The walk in the park. Next 12 games or so, really, really tough from a Yankee perspective. They need a big weekend in Boston. Because they've been playing lousy baseball now for way too long. Close to about six to eight weeks. If we're being objective about it. It's now second week of August. Yankees been playing bad baseball, losing baseball for about 33 games. All right. We know the deal with the baseball teams in town. One can't lose. The other one can't seem to get it right. At least right now. It's just weird saying that, too. That's, they don't lose. They do not lose. It's crazy. But we'll get you ready for the start of the football season. My main man, Danny Heifetz of Ringer fame, Ringer NFL. Got the fantasy show. He's at Giant Cam yesterday. Uh, he'll join us next. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. We're about a month away from the NFL season. It's crazy to say because on this show, we have spent so much time with the thoughts and the musings surrounding the two baseball teams. The Yankees been bad for a month, but still a first place team. Nobody hotter in all baseball than the New York Mets. But we got to get ready for giant football. We got to get ready for jet football. I know everybody's getting their fantasy drafts in order. I plan mine, one of my many. I'm in way too many leagues. That's the story for a different day. And I'm bummed because I had car trouble 24 hours ago. So I didn't get to see the great Mike Flegelman. And I didn't get to see this guy at Giant Camp. Danny Heifetz. What's up, buddy? We had, we had a date to meet at Giants Camp. I stiffed you. I stood you up. You know, I left you at the altar. You did, but it's okay. I understand. You just pretended to have car trouble to avoid me. I, understand. I, wish, I, I wish I could say it's that easy. But the Danny Heifetz Bruce Beck picture. When is that working its way on Instagram, by the way? I actually got to put that on the grid. So Bruce Beck, yeah. So Bruce Beck and I actually, we have like this mutual friend that like my parents have known for decades and his and him and his wife too. So we start talking about that and then we're talking about you and he's like, where's JJ? And I'm like, well, his car broke down. But yeah, so yeah, Bruce well, and I were it, just it, chopping it, it up. It, and listen, now I'm going to see you on Sports Final and all I'm going to say is I want one of the residuals at some point, you know, uh, I'm taking some credit for the meeting of the minds, even though I wasn't there, okay? Yeah, you need the residual to pay for the car. Uh, I do, considering what my bill just came in for. But that's, <laughs> again, uh, I, I digress because I'm sick of well, talking about Well, maybe some mechanics are listening. They can help you out. Well, listen, if they are and they work over at Volkswagen, please, I'm all ears. So when I upgrade my car after a wedding, I, 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 I'm sick of talking about the car. Anyway, Heifetz, <laughs> training camp, you're out there. You've been going to a bunch of these training camps. So you know the deal. Everybody is optimistic. Everybody is glass half full. Everybody is looking for the juicy storyline they could kind of latch themselves to when it surrounds the New York Giants. Because you have a point of comparison, how would you compare what you saw at Giant Camp to the other camps you went to? So I don't think, so the other ones, I've been to the Ravens. I was in Denver last week. I talked to Russell Wilson, but like, I, I don't, I'm not comparing the Giants to the Broncos, the Ravens. I don't think you even need any training camp stuff to be optimistic about the Giants. I actually think camp has nothing to do with it because the, I, just what the Giants ended last season 
at rock bottom. The Giants have been around for 97 years. And I'm not exaggerating. I think that last season was the lowest point in the history of the franchise. Like they were in the last week of the season, they were eliminated from the playoffs and they are quarterback sneaking on third and nine because they're so afraid of losing four yards with Jake from they're like, that's not, they're not a competitive football team because they're terrified of losing four yards to the quarterback sneak on third and nine and rock bottom since then in four months, they fired Joe judge. They fired Dave Gettleman. They declined Daniel Jones fifth year option. They get, they hire the Bills Burying Trust, the best turnaround in f- the last five years to get Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator with Josh Allen of the Bills. They get Joe Shane, that's the number two guy in Buffalo's front office, where they did an amazing job and turned the Laughing Stock Bills into a su- the Super Bowl favorite this year. They're running the team. And then those guys get the, in January, the best two picks in the draft somehow fall to five and seven. They get Kayvon Thibodeau to be the edge rusher. They get Evan Neal from Alabama. And so in four months, this team went from rock bottom to actually this feels like the best upward trajectory the team's had in like five years, 10 years, depending how you count. So I'm not necessarily looking to training camp to be like, do I need the optimism? I'm more like, you can ask the Jets, you can ask the Bills, you can ask the Lions, ask Browns fans. Sometimes you hit rock bottom and you wait 10 years to actually be helped, to be positive about where they're going. We only had to wait four months. So I think that this is more of, I don't know about this year, what I'm looking for in training camp. I want to be a little tepid, but basically I think that whether they're good or bad, the Giants are undeniably in a good direction right now. I totally get that. I'm fired up about the head coach. It seems like the general manager has a clue. But in many ways, Heifetz, the idea of laying the groundwork is going to be a major theme of this season. I don't think there's any getting around that. However, there's also going to be this question of can Daniel Jones play? And fair or unfair, you get a one-year free roll of the dice to say, okay, is this guy somehow, some way, going to be our quarterback for the next five years? Or are we going to be going in a different direction come next year? Do you think this idea of Dable coming in, being quarterback friendly, getting the most out of quarterbacks is the perfect timing with Daniel Jones basically in make-or-break territory? I kind of think it is. I'm like, hey, look, let's see if something can be salvaged here where Jones looks the part and plays the part and if not, the Giants are probably a bad team and they're picking at the top of the draft. Win-win if you ask me. We will see. We will see. The I, I think the truth is the Giants offense does not look good right now. Now, it's kind of tough because it's tough to evaluate, but you know, I think that, you know, Kenny Galladay's, you know, they're limiting his snaps, trying to keep him healthy for the season. Kadarius Tony the same. You know, I, I don't I don't know if Jones has like looked fantastic all training camp, but again, it's tough because the way they kind of do sometimes the defense is just ahead of the way they install stuff. And so you never know from just watching. However, I think that it's a weird thing to say about a coaching staff, but I kind of think we're gonna know with this team relatively quickly, and at least whether they're gonna be playoff contender. Because here's the thing, Giants at the easy schedule in football this year. Schedule's a joke. I mean, all you need to know about the schedule is the esteemed Raheem Palmer, our new addition on Ringer Gambling, and the podfather, Bill Simmons, they're trying to convince me to bet the Giants to win the division. And I'm like, Heifetz, yeah. are you guys nuts? I'm like, I so, understand the schedule's easy. The division is topsy-turvy. It's wacky. You're telling me now all of a sudden the Giants are going to go win nine or ten games and win this division? Like, uh, if the, I know it's a new coaching staff. I know there's reasons for optimism. That's jumping the gun a little bit, dude. Just so a little. here's... The reason why is that the Giants' schedule, last year they played the AFC West. They got the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos. This year they got the AFC South. That's the Titans. It's the Colts. It's the Jaguars. It's the Texans. And then, But here's the key with the Giants' schedule, and it is the easiest in the NFL. September is key, and here's why. 
They play the Panthers in week two, one of the worst teams in the league. And they play the Bears in week four. The Bears might be the worse worst the team in the league. But the worst the team in the league. The Giants play the, the Packers and the Ravens in week five and six. So week five and six, let's be real. They're probably not beating the Packers or the Ravens. That's two losses in week five and six. So they can't drop one of these games to the Bears or the Panthers because week one, they play the Titans. That's a playoff team. And then week three, it's Cowboys, Monday Night Football. So the Giants kind of need to start, in my mind, if they, even if they steal one from the Titans or the Cowboys, go one and one in that stretch, they need to go two and oh against the Bears and Panthers. So you can be three and one, probably drop two to the Ravens and Packers. But if you come out of six weeks, you're three and three. Cool. That's competitive. I think that's where Daniel Jones needs to shine. When the Giants go into week three with the Cowboys home, Monday night football, I really hope that Daniel Jones has not laid an egg the week earlier against the Panthers and like either Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield or whoever's playing, I, it would that would be very tough. So I think that, again, I basically am trying to say I would be really cautious if people are expecting like a total like Josh Allen renaissance. I don't really think, no, D- Brian Dable's going to turn Daniel Jones into like an MVP, like Josh Allen, the MVP candidate last year. But absolutely, you cannot underrate how bad the previous coaching staff was. And that is like the entirety of the argument, I think, for why like we'll really see with Jones. Like, the Giants coaching staff was so bad last year. Jason Garrett, again, we watched Jason Garrett for 10 years be awful for Dallas, and then he ran our team. And it's like, the Giants were outscored 79-0 to in the final two minutes of the first half. I will say that again. 79-0 to in the after the two-minute warning of the first half. What is coaching, if not managing the clock in that situation? That is, I, I'm, I, can't, I have trouble proving this, but that has to be the worst mark of all time. The Giants were dead last in touchdowns under Jason Garrett. They had 21, 22 touchdowns all of last year. Like, everything about this coaching staff was abysmal. So it will be very, very important to see how Daniel Jones does with competence. What are you hearing about Barkley in this system, in this scheme? Last year, he looked totally shot. He had absolutely no burst. He's playing, we know, for a contract. Um... In some ways, I'm surprised he's here. In other ways, I guess I'm not because the value is just null and void. There's absolutely no value what you saw last year with Saquon. Um, are they drastically going to change Heifetz the way he's used? Like, are they going to turn Saquon Barkley into a guy that hopefully from a Giants standpoint is going to go and catch 60 or 70 passes? That's the way I try to use him. Running him between the tackles, clearly not a winning formula, dude. Didn't work. Saquon. Saquon's good to go. Now, everyone should be warned, this might be the last year Saquon's in, in, on the Giants uniform because he is a free agent at the end of this year. Now, they'll probably franchise tag him. Um, but regardless, I doubt that a front office signs him to some huge contract extension. However, I think that Saquon is the straw that stirs the drink for this offense this year. The eight, Last year, look, just because a guy's coming back from an ACL doesn't mean he's back from the ACL. It usually is like the year after the year after. You see that all the time with these guys in the ACL. And I think Saquon, I am really confident it's just going to be and look like a different player. Let's be real. Last year, when Saquon came back from the ACL, there were moments where Wayne Gallman would have some burst. Booker looked better. Gary Brightwell, Devontae Booker. Booker looked better. Yeah, and you'd look, oh, Saquon looks good. You're like, oh my God, that's Booker. And you like organically confuse Saquon for Devontae Booker. Uh, that's not happening this year. They got Matt Breida behind it. First of all, the Giants were worried. that They get brought in like nobody to really deal with it. But really, Saquon is back. I think that, it's, honestly, it's probably the best Saquon. I think it's the closest we'll see to how Saquon looked in 2018. Seems to say you're bullish on Saquon this year. Very. And I was down on him last year, but for the same reasoning. Banking on a guy, look, 
You know how good you have to be to be an athlete in the NFL? Even a, a back, a fifth string cornerback that you've never heard of, that fifth string cornerback is like the best guy that's ever gone to his high school. Maybe the best guy in his county. And he's a fifth string quarterback. To be an incredible athlete at the NFL level like Saquon and be better than all those other incredible athletes. When you tear your ACL, you can't just come back because it's all about the margins. Like that's where the edges are. And so sometimes it takes, you know, more like a year and a half, two years to get back your athleticism just because you're back at nine months from the ACL. We see this all the time. And so I don't think it's at all uh, concerning that Saquon kind of needed to ramp up last year. And, he, you know, I know he had that kind of weird ankle roll, but it's all kind of related, right, when you have the ACL and you're recovering. But I think that I'm so, so much more confident in Saquon this year. Very interesting. Okay, give me the veteran player on this team you're most intrigued by. Outside of Jones, outside of Barkley, who's the veteran on this team that Danny Heifetz is very curious to see in 2022? Uh, does, well, I don't know. Does Andrew Thomas count as a veteran? Yeah, why not? He's kind of young. Not, I mean, okay, I'll take we that. We need Andrew yes. Thomas to be good because I, I only say that because he's like, there's very few guys in this team that I'm like, will they be on the team in 2024? So, you know, if you want to, I could tell you Kenny Galladay because they gave him $19 million a year and he didn't catch a touchdown. And honestly, I don't think he's been looks great so far at, at any aspect in the Giants uniform. I don't know if Kenny Galladay is going to be on the team in 2024. So I think that that's the obvious answer. But Andrew Thomas is like one of those building blocks for the team. It was really nice to kind of go to camp and hear about how he's helping Evan Neal develop because basically Evan, you know, Andrew Thomas kind of knows what questions to ask in the meetings rooms. And then so Evan, it's kind of like when the kids at the dinner table, the younger kid learns a better vocabulary because the parents talk at the level of the older child. That's kind of like the, you know, Andrew Thomas is a little more experienced. So he's asking like second, third year questions. And then so Evan Neal is getting the education of like a more experienced player. That's nice learning. You know, like, like the Bengals have T. Higgins, who's a, who's a year older than Jamar Chase. You know, it's nice when you have those guys who can develop in a room together as an older little uh, brother dynamic. Uh, I actually think when I was there, Andrew Thomas was supposed to speak to reporters and he actually just made Evan Neal go do it, which I thought was very funny. I like that, so, by the way. That's yeah, uh, I like making that. a younger brother do the dirty work. Of course. Exactly. And Andrew Thomas was on IR last year, but, you know, everyone got, he got a bad rap. But I think Andrew Thomas is another example of just with better coaching. I think Andrew Thomas is still might end up one of the better tackles in that class, especially, I mean, with what the Jets got, you know, going on. Oh, the Beckton situation's a disaster. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, One quick note on the defense. If they're going to exceed expectations, they clearly lost their best corner in Bradbury. I don't think they have a replacement. I don't know what happens in the secondary. If heaven forbid Dory Jackson goes down with an injury, I feel like you and I might be soon up and playing corner for the Giants. Is Thibodeau the most important piece, you think, on their defense? If they're going to surprise people on that side of the ball, does he have to just come in and be, you know, instant impact? Does he have to be great basically right out of the gate? Is that how you see it? Yes and no, because they hired Wink Martindale to be their defensive coordinator for the Ravens. And for a long time, basically, it, they, they flipped the traditional defense. Like, it's a, it's, Grossly oversimplified defense. You kind of want good pass rushers. Get to the quarterback. You know, if, you know the old Giants teams of Laura. Four guys, five guys can beat their man. You know, it helps the, the defense. Wink Martindale is more like if you send a lot of blitzing, you actually don't need necessarily excellent pass rushers because you're trying to like blitz, and it's basically a scheme that makes individual excellence maybe along the pass rushing, less important. That's why the Ravens weren't spending big money necessarily on pass rushers, but the Ravens had a lot of great defenders in the secondary. The Giants were just like, hey, Kevin Thibodeau's great. We're going to take him. 
So I think that Thibodeau is probably their most important defender for now and the future because he just should be great. But I think you hit, hit the cornerback death. I think you hit it the nail on the head. That's my biggest concern for this team because I don't understand who's guarding any of the receivers in this division. The Eagles have A.J. Brown. Who's guarding A.J. Brown? Is it, is it Dory Jackson going to guard A.J. Brown? Because A.J. Brown's huge. And if so, who's guarding Devontae Smith, who had 220 yards, won the Heisman at halftime of the championship game last year in college? I mean, who's guarding Terry McLaurin? I mean, C.D. Lamb for the Cowboys. Like, I, I mean, Dory Jackson, if he's lining up in the slot, it's Dory Jackson following? Because James Bradbury was shattering all these divisional receivers last year. And if they move CeeDee Lamb to the slot, if they move Terry McLaurin to the slot, either Dory Jackson has to follow them or the Eagles going to put A.J. Brown in the slot and Dory doesn't follow them. And then they, we're in it. They have Cordell Flott guarding A.J. Brown, who's 50 pounds heavier than him. That's, in a nutshell, why I'm a little concerned about this team winning the division and all the optimism is that Wink Martindale has to really, really scheme up this defense to not get burned by some of the receiving talent. I give you the total. Seven and a half wins right now. What are you taking? So the cop-out is that actually it doesn't matter because the, the Giants win no matter what. And my takeaway... My, no, my, but you got to... That's fine. But what's the pick, though? I think it's under. Okay. I, I think That's it's all under. I needed. I, I, I think it's under. And here's the thing. If the Giants win eight or nine games in their first season with Dable, I think that people will be very happy. And if they're under, good, because that means they can get rid of Jones and get a quarterback in the future. And like, if the if he's not the right guy, then they can get. But also, if Jones is better and there is something there, then that's also a good outcome. So I think it's a win. However, I think that the injury issues with, I don't think Kadarius Tony is built to stay on the field for 17 games. I don't think Kenny Galladay is going to stay on the field for 17 games. I don't know uh, how much we're going to be able to rely on these receivers outside of Wandale Robinson, who I think will be a big part of this year. And then the defense with the cornerback depth, I will take the under despite the really easy schedule. And who we like to win that division. See, that's that that's why I get the contrarians out there trying to make the case for the Giants because the division stinks. Uh, the Cowboys lose Cooper. I don't trust the head coach. The Eagles, you know, I thought about betting on the Eagles to win the division. It is yeah. so damn square now. Everybody and their mother is doing it. Hi, if it's, I can't do it now. Football team starting Carson Wentz. I almost begrudgingly want to go to no. the ticket window now and bet the Cowboys. I don't love them, but I almost want to do that at this point. The wa no, Washington's not. Washington is, a, 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 I'm trying to curse less. They're a disaster. I was going to say cluster something. Washington's terrible. You could have on this it, podcast, but that's okay. All right, well, Washington's a clusterfuck. They're being investigated by the Congress. And then Car Carson Wentz, when Carson Wentz is not the worst part of your football team, that's not good. So, and also when Carson Wentz is like an upgrade, also not good. So I think Dallas, it's very simple. I, I think, Dallas is Dak, and Dak is the best quarterback in the NFL, in the league, in the division by a lot. I think the Eagles actually got better, whereas the Cowboys got worse, and that's the difference. Michael Parsons is obviously great for the Cowboys, but losing Cooper, losing Lel Collins, I think the Cowboys' offensive line is trending almost toward a weakness where it used to be their strength for like 10 years. The Eagles are good, man. I think that it's all about Jalen Hurts, and Nick Sirianni is the coach, but if Jalen Hurts takes a step, Eagles could easily win the division, but it's hard to just look at the gap between Dak and what Jalen Hurts has done, and Wentz and Jones, not pick the Cowboys just because of the quarterback. Did you know, out of any win total right now, you know what's getting bet more than anything? No. The Jets over six and a half wins. That would scare the crap out of me, dude. So that... That would scare the crap out of me. The Jets. So You're telling me out of any of the totals that are out there, people are betting the Jets and the Lions more than anybody? I mean, I... Uh, 
that's a telltale sign to either bet the under or don't bet it. Whatever, whatever you do, don't bet it. I <laughs> six and a half is tough because man, it's like you know some bad teams can still win seven games. Man, I think that the Jets. Here's the thing with the Jets. The good news for Jets fans is you're going to know about Zach Wilson this year. Like, barring, unless Zach Wilson gets hurt, you're going to know. Obviously, the Mekhi Becton stuff, you know, Becton out for the season, this is a disaster. They need a replacement can, who can play. They don't have one good. on the roster currently, High Fitz. They no, need a right tackle. The, so they got George Fan at left, and they were already going to do, like, George Fan was going to be at left tackle, right? But here's the thing. I think that what it really does is if Sauce Gardner is not a great cornerback for them, who they took fourth overall out of Cincinnati, it will just be relitigated forever how they could have taken Ika McQuanu or Evan Neal. Obviously, they could have taken Kayvon Thibodeau from Giants, but, you know, three, they were, they had, the Jets had their pick of tackles in this draft. Pretty decent, pretty good rated tackle class. And they just chose a cornerback and they had two picks in the top 10. And so I think that a lot of people are going to relitigate uh, whether it was wise for the that Jets. That is to take such a, a great point. That, that's a lot of pressure on Sauce Gardner, too. Especially they need because, him to be let's good. be real. No one knows how to evaluate cornerbacks. Like, look, I know Jets fans had Darrell Revis. I, I, news for you. That was the easiest person to ever decide was good. The reality is it's really hard, I think, to figure out. if And it normally takes time. Job. Let's be honest. It takes time. With corners, yeah. they, it's a rarity that a guy comes in right out of the gate and is a lockdown guy. Usually it takes at least two to three years. Also, it's like golf. It's like you can hit a bunch of good shots, but then like you're a cornerback, you have great reps, but then you give up one touchdown. It's all people see. Like you're, do, you're literally not on the screen when you're doing a good job. But so I think that's the question is like, the irony is everything the Jets have done is really good, right? Like flipping J the Jamal Adams trade. They don't, Joe Douglas and Jets don't get credit for this. That is, I could argue that's like the best trade a team has made in like 10 years. Brilliant. Because they basically got, the, the Jets got almost what the Broncos got for Russell Wilson. And the Jets almost got that for Jamal Adams, basically. It's like Russell Wilson minus two second round picks. That's what they got for Jamal Adams, who has not been good for Seattle. And so they got that. Everything's going well. It's just, they just missed on a couple players. It's like Makai Becton looked like a win. It was obviously it wasn't a W, it was an L. And then Zach Wilson, man, it's like, you know, Elijah Moore looks like a great pick of receiver. Garrett Wilson's probably going to be a W, at, at, you know, even if sauce, but it's all about the quarterback, right? And so I, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be pessimistic, optimistic. I will just say Zach Wilson thus far, I don't think has been very impressive. And I, I, I kind of wonder if Patrick Holmes didn't exist whether Zach Wilson would have been taken number two in the draft. And sometimes teams end up chasing trends and all the cool things you can do, arm angle and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I get it. He can kind of create when the pocket breaks down. Can he Can he run an offense when the pocket doesn't break down? We'll see, right? Well, I want to see now that he has Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, but there's no excuses anymore. They signed Tyler Conklin. C.G. Uzama almost just won a Super Bowl at the Bengals. The Jets got skill players. So, you know, if Zach Wilson can't compete now, um, that will be very concerning for me, even with the Beckton injury. They got a brutal game week one against Baltimore. I think you're yeah. going to have a good feel and a good sense for this Jets season. The second game of the year, they take on the Browns without Deshaun Watson. Like, I know the Browns have talent on Browns, that team. Good high no, the Browns have a good defense. I, mean, I get that, Garrett. but my point is, they lose that game, and you're losing to Jacoby Brissett. You're in a position where you're chasing, man. You are chasing, 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 where it's here we go again. You know what I mean? Like, that's... That's kind of from like a psyche standpoint. Like, hey, you're playing a backup quarterback, go win the game. I actually disagree with you, and I don't think it's the Browns so much. I, I get what you're saying, week two. I think, so the Jets' schedule this year, they don't really, 
Yeah, I'm double checking. They don't have a divisional game till like mid October. Yeah, they play the Dolphins. They host the Dolphins. Columbus Day weekend. I think that big picture, and again, maybe I'm just kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth because I do think September is important if the Giants are going to compete. But you remember that with the lack of preseason, less practices, the first two weeks of the year now, it's almost like an extension of preseason. No, it's tough figuring out who's who. You're not wrong about that. It's tough. but But here's the thing. The Patriots look even weaker than they did two years ago when Brady left. Like the the pa- Patricia running the Patriots offense looks, I mean, Patriots fans themselves are freaking out. The, the Dolphins, same situation, honestly, Zach Wilson. They spent a shitload of money to just be like, okay, we got to find out if two is good. And But if the Jets do all this, if they sign these tight ends and they bring in the first, and they just surround Zach Wilson, and if they still come in last in the division, that's a, they got to, the AFC East, it's like such a wake-up call. For whoever comes in last, if, if the Dolphins come in last, they're like, what do we do about Tua? The Patriots come in last. It's like, what are we doing as a team with Belichick, right? Like, who are we? And then if the Jets come in last, it's like, man, someone's got to go. Like, it's either going to be Salah, Zach Wilson, or Joe Douglas. I actually think that Salah and Douglas should stay and that Zach Wilson might end up going. I don't know if it always works that way, but it's the same as basketball, right? It's like your best player, the GM, the coach, there's a triangle. Someone's got to go when something goes wrong. Um, I think that whoever, whatever team has an issue uh, in the AFC, is whoever comes in last, it's, it's a very sobering season for them. Well, they have the Jets, like, one division win in the last, like, four or five years. Dude, yeah. that is absurd. And the Patriots embarrass them. They look for every excuse to embarrass them. Buffalo is the clear-cut team to beat in the division. And, Heifetz, you nailed it with the Patriots. This should be a year where a team like the Jets closes the gap with the Patriots. Yes. I don't think the Patriots are any good. I think the Patriots have six, seven win team written all over them. I know Belichick's there. I know he's great. I know he's the best to ever do it. That roster, you got Patricia and Joe Judge running the offense. That seems like a total shit show, Dave. No, it's not good, especially if you're a Jets fan and you're looking at, you know, the Bills, but, you know, the, you just get beaten by the Patriots for 20 years. The Bills grab a quarterback that you could have had. And they're crushing you with him now. And they look like they could do another 10 years. It's not good. But can I bundle this with some optimism for you for both the Giants and the Jets? Yes, I like that. The big like picture optimism. is, so I don't think either team could win the division. However, the Giants, easiest schedule in the NFL. The big picture for the season is the AFC is so loaded. The AFC, it's like, wow, how is one of these teams going to ma- miss the playoffs? The NFC, it's more like these teams are going to make the playoffs. Like the AFC, it's so much. If you just rank the quarterbacks, the AFC has like 10 of the best 14 quarterbacks in the NFL. So all that's to say, it sounds insane to say, what if the Jets or Dolphins make the playoffs ahead? However, when you have the AFC West so good, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Broncos, the Raiders, they're all playing each other. They're going to beat each other up. And the same with the AFC North, the Bengals, the, the Steelers, the, the Ravens, the Browns, all those teams seem better than the Jets and the Dolphins. But all those divisions, it's like if the Jets or the Dolphins basically are able to beat up on the division, like you just split one with the Bills, and then if you can really, you know, take it to the Pats and, and the uh, or, you know, the Jets or the Dolphins, depending who you are. That's your path to, like, you know what? While everyone's else fighting each other, you squeaked 10 or 11 wins in this, like, really competitive AFC, and you can snag a wild card over what is probably objectively a better team, but that had a harder schedule. The flip side of the Giants, it's like the NFC is so soft. I, I mean, I, even if you just want to put the playoff teams back, it's like the Cowboys, the Packers, the, um, the, the Rams, obviously, and then the Bucks. It's like, dude, there's three other wildcard teams to go. 
you could, you could probably get in with nine wins. Like, you know, the, the Giants fans, should you be super afraid of the Vikings or the Lions? Should you be, you know, it should be super, I'm not afraid of the Cardinals. The Niners or the Niners, they're good, but they got a rookie. Trey Lance is essentially a rookie quarterback. So they're, it's not crazy to think you can squeak in. I just think the Giants have to start really well. And I think the Jets and both teams have to beat up on the division. The, Gi- the Giants are like one in 10 against the Cowboys in the last 11. The Giants are like four and 12 against the Eagles in the last 16. Like they got swept by Washington last year. Both teams have to win their divisional games. You're not wrong about that. And if you go and play decently in the division, there is a path for the Giants exceeding expectations. But you hit on it. They never play well against the Cowboys. They never play well against the Eagles. Basically, since 2012 and beyond, they've been awful against those two teams. Not a path for postseason that way. All right. Give me a team that's going to be exceeding expectations. Give me a team that's going to fall flat on their face. Give me one of each. Uh, I'll give you one for each conference. The Ravens, I think, exceed in the AFC. I think the Ravens I love the them, division. dude. They're winning the division. I'm taking their win total. The only reason I'm not taking them as a Super Bowl bet is I worry about Jackson against those great defenses come January. But I'm right there with you with the Ravens. Fair. I love them. Look, yeah, love the, short, the, sh- the short version is everything went wrong for the Ravens and everything went right, went right for the Bengals. But the Ravens had eight wins and the Bengals had 10. So it's like, I just think everything won't go wrong. For you know, the here's my better. fear with the Bengal under. And everything you hit on as far as Super Bowl hangover, exceeding expectations, all true. Burrow is such a badass. That's yeah, my fear. That's my fear, Heifetz. And that's why that's- I won't wager on Cincinnati's under because they cost me too much money in the postseason <laughs> last year. I that's won't totally it. fair. NFC, I think the team that exceeds expectations is the Saints, man. The Saints are badasses, and, like, they don't really get credit for it. And I just, the, look, Saints, I think the Saints have only, like, they haven't lost to the Bucs in the regular season. They in like beat the piss out of Brady, dude. They beat no, them up. When the Bucs won the Super Bowl, they were losing to the Saints in, like, late in the fourth quarter, and Jared Cook, their tight end, fumbled. And it's like, if Jared Cook doesn't fumble, the Saints are undefeated against Tom Brady in a Buccaneers uniform. And it's like, I think the Saints... I kind of think they're going to win the division at this rate with the way that, one, can't be underrated. Tom Brady didn't want to play in the Bucs this year. Like, Tom Brady looked at this roster and was like, don't want to, don't, can't win a Super Bowl here. And then was forced to come back because they were like, you can't go anywhere else. No shit to your Dolphins. But that means something to me. And then now all, everyone's getting hurt. Their entire interior offensive line, uh, line is, ex- I mean, not just banged up. It is August 10th. These guys aren't even supposed to, they're barely in pads and they're beaten up on the interior of their line. The receivers are, it's just, the whole thing's kind of a mess. I think the Saints are the team in the NFC that's just kind of going to be surprising. Okay, so you're in on the Saints. Who's going to fall flat? So Tampa's the team you think falls flat in the NFC. Yeah, I would say, I'm not saying they're going to fall flat because they can still win 10 games, get a wild card's Tom Brady. I would say the Cardinals are going to fall flat. I think the Arizona Cardinals are the top five pick this year. Whoa, and I know that's, wow. Yeah, the Cardinals are I mean, listen, listen nobody hates Kingsbury more than me. I think he's a loser. I've made a lot of money betting against him at the end of the year. Uh, that Ram playoff game was a gift. You think the Cardinals are going to be a top five I do. pick? I do. They're, 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 I've ne- I mean, uh, it's one of, put it this way. Let me ask you the opposite question. If the Cardinals get a top five pick, like if the Cardinals win like five games, in retrospect, would you even be surprised? In retrospect, you're like, oh yeah, that made so much sense. Because everything that has come out about the Cardinals this year has been bad. Everything. I mean, seven months ago, they, the team was leaking that Kyler Murray's a finger pointer. Kyler Murray was, was out here blaming the team. It sounded like a Ben Simmons situation. They're saying he plays too many video games. He's saying they're scapegoating him for a playoff loss. His body language is terrible. That's before this whole video game contract thing came out. And then DeAndre Hopkins suspended for six games. 
all this stuff, the team, the owner or the GM, whoever put that clause in, clearly thinks Kyler Murray's a child. And then on top of it, also, their defense is bad. Like, what does this team do well? Because they have the prop, I would say maybe, the worst cornerback group in the NFL. They got to play against Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson with the Rams, Debo and Brandon Ayuk with the 49ers, and they got to go against DK Metcalf and Lockett with the Seahawks. They don't have good linebackers. They have, they're counting on J.J. Watt on their D-line. Like, I don't know what they do well. And so, mixed with the bad karma, the bad vibes, it's like, it's just that the Cardinals are just this tense situation among people not trying to get fired. Everyone's trying to save their jobs and thinking short-term about themselves. No one's thinking about building a team here. And it just, it, it, none of their decisions make sense. And honestly, I, I just can't think of a team in football or any sport with the headlines you're reading. That was good. Final one. And this bet's going to happen. I haven't decided what the terms are going to be. So basically, you're going to tell me, good bet, bad bet. Uh, a scale one to 10. One, very little confidence. 10, utmost confidence. 10, it's like I liquidate my savings. Correct. Take out one, a line of credit. One basically is, JJ, you're a moron. What the what the, what the blank are you doing? Yeah. Um, the Dolphins will finish with a better record than Bill Simmons' New England Patriots. I am yeah, very I confident that. about this. I would bet. take that. I would very. Take that I'm not going to say it's 10. I'd put it around a 6 or a 7 as far as the confidence meter is concerned. I am... I am bullish on Miami as like a 9-10 win team, and I think New England is a 6-7 win team. I'll give it a 6.5, bordering a 7, and because here's why. I don't actually think what the Dolphins did this offseason was smart, but I get it. They, they spent, uh, the technical term is a bajillion dollars to basically buy an offense that they did not have, and they bought guards, they bought left tackle, they, you know, they brought in all, Tyree Kill, obviously, with the picks, like, an incredible amount of resources. I don't think that was smart, but you have to fear if two is good. But here's the thing. Whatever you want to say about that as a strategy, when teams do that, they almost always get better in year one. Happened to the Giants in 2016. They spent all that money on defense, and it was like a bad move long-term. But that team made the playoffs that year. Like, there was a good team. Like, even the Jaguars spent all this money. When teams spend as much capital to bring in players, there's usually always a short-term bump. The Dolphins, I do think, will get better. Patriots, I think, are going to get worse. Danny Heifetz, Ringer NFL, man of many talents. The fantasy show is, I'm sure, up and running. You need to come on before the start of the fantasy season, though, because you got to help some people out with their drafts. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. Can Absolutely. I, I, can you work it into your busy schedule? I would hope so. I'll, well, yeah, my, my car might break down, but otherwise, yeah, I can probably make it. There you it. go. I'm going to let you pay for the loan of car. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Appreciate a couple Perfect. minutes. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Good stuff from Heifetz. Before we hit Jeff Money, Friday, Fandle, same game parlay. Play it if you're Connecticut, BJ Ryan's will be hanging out. Play it in New York, play it in New Jersey. Play it where you're hanging. Yankee Red Sox will try to change the juju, but we'll have one of those bad boys. Thought I was going to hit one last night with the Yankees. Didn't want to cooperate. Didn't want to run the bases properly, but 
I digress. All right, last but not least, let's hear it. Money, floor is yours. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be for tomorrow, Thursday, the 11th. I like one game. I'm going to go with an underdog. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Orioles plus the 115 over the Boston Red Sox. Again, I'm going to roll with the Baltimore Orioles plus the 115. And everyone can always follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money, it is nice knowing that you were at the home stretch of not a whole lot to chew on from a wagering perspective. Because we are about two weeks away from college football, three weeks away from heavy college football, and then boom, all of a sudden, it's going to be Bill's Rams that first Thursday. With all the baseball going on, you're not going to know what to do. Can't get here soon enough. Great work by Stefan. We're back with a Jeter pod tomorrow. We got a Spotify Live at 5.30 from BJ Ryan's in Norwalk, Connecticut. Come hang if you're in the Connecticut area. Have a drink or two. Hang out. Have a few laughs. Yank sucks. And then we're back Sunday night. It's going to be a late pod. Expect it 2 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning. Maybe the Yankees and Red Sox cooperate and give us a three-hour game, but I wouldn't count on that. But we'll be back Monday. Until then, JJ, signing off. Enjoy. Be good, everybody. <laughs>